certainly like you to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or, of course, on the your trusty computer, which is, of course, uh, www.citr.ca. My name is Gavin Walker, and uh, we have quite a show lined up this evening for you, including um, a little later on in the show an interview with... Uh, a musician, composer, who uh, has put out a wonderful debut album, Jalem Bate, and uh, Jalem will be my guest uh, after the jazz feature this evening. And of course, the jazz feature is always first up on the jazz show. And tonight is a very special edition of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. And this is their only recording of this particular edition. Now, we all know that Art Blakey had, uh, over the years, um, when he first formed the Jazz Messengers, uh, there were various editions. Um, Some were widely recorded. uh, Some were not recorded at all. And others um, were sparsely recorded. (laughs) So, um, and... And yet, uh, the concept of the Jazz Messengers was always the same. And it was uh, just uh, a band full of great soloists who also contributed their own original compositions and um, were very cohesive and exciting in, um, as only jazz can be. And uh, all driven along by the tremendous drumming of Art Blakey and his inspired leadership as well because he gave everyone ultimate freedom. He just said, I want you to just deliver and and do that every night. Uh, And uh, that was the basic credo of of the band. Now, this edition is very interesting um, because it brings back um, a veteran of the Jazz Messengers. He played with the Messengers uh, in 1956 and 57. Now, this was album was recorded in Tokyo in 1970, and Bill Hardman on trumpet, one of the really profoundly underrated trumpeters of uh, the jazz world, uh, came back into uh, Blakey's Messengers uh, for this edition, and uh, he was very welcomed. He was a much more finished uh, musician than he was back in the fifties uh, when he played with uh, when he first played with the Messengers, but his concept was uh, just deepened, and uh, his method uh, of improvising was was uh, rounded out, and he was a much more complete musician. So Bill Hardman on trumpet. And his frontline partner on tenor saxophone was a wonderful 
uh, player originally from Panama, and his name, Carlos Garnett. And Garnett combined the influences of uh, Wayne Shorter and Sonny Rollins and different other people into his own style. And he's a very, very fine uh, tenor saxophonist. We get to the piano. The piano is played by Joanne Brackeen. Joanne was the first female musician to join the Jazz Messengers. And Joanne is still very much alive, performing. Uh, absolutely marvelous piano player, as you'll hear. And uh, as I said, she is distinguished with being the first female to be a Jazz Messenger. On bass from what was formerly Czechoslovakia, which is now the Czech Republic, a very, very fine musician who went on to other things after he finished his musical career, but uh, was a very, very fine bassist. His name, Jan Arnett, and he is the bassist in this band, and of course on drums, the mighty Art Blakey. Now, the repertoire of the band hadn't really changed much, and you're going to hear uh, tunes that are familiar um, in the Jazz Messengers, and... Uh, We'll hear tunes like, for instance, the opening track is Bobby Timmons' great tune, Moanin'. And uh, tune number two and three are by Benny Golson, of course, who was uh, an alumnus of the Jazz Messengers. And he wrote two great tunes for the, um, for the Messengers when he was in that, the band, and they... Blakey kept them in the repertoire. And the tune number two is, of course, Benny Golson's great Blues March. Tune number three is another delightful Golson composition entitled Whisper Not. Tune number four was written by the tenor saxophonist in the band, Carlos Garnett. And it's the only really new tune in, in this uh, edition of the Jazz Messengers. And Carlos's tune is called What the World Needs Now is Peace and Love. And uh, that went very well in 1970, and I think it mean, would mean even more now. <laughs> so there you go, uh, um, a prophetic title. So that's tune number four. Tune number five is basically the Jazz Messenger's arrangement of a standard tune uh, that was put in the band by Wayne Shorter. And uh, it's basically his arrangement of Harold Arlen's It's Only a Paper Moon. Two number, that's tune number five. Tune number six is a composition by Bill Hardman, who um, brought this tune into the band when he was a member back in the 50s. And uh, it was retained and played over the years. And we hear another version of Bill Hardman's Politely. And the final tune was one of those tunes that was a part of every edition of the Jazz Messengers. And that's Dizzy Gillespie's most famous composition, A Night in Tunisia. And that concludes the album. So this, then, is our jazz feature this evening, Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, 1970, recorded February 19th in Tokyo. Once again, the personnel, Bill Hardman on trumpet, Carlos Garnett on tenor saxophone, 
Joanne Brackeen on piano, Jan Arnett on bass, and of course the mighty Art Blakey on drums. And here we go with Monin.
And, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for the jazz feature. And, of course, uh, as always, uh, Art Blakey ending his set with, of course, a phenomenal version of Dizzy Gillespie's A Night in Tunisia. And uh, he always let the horns go and, and did their thing until the end of the tune. Yes, this is, uh, has been our jazz feature album. I certainly hope you enjoyed it. It's, it was, uh, the album is the only uh, recording of this specific edition of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, and it was done in Tokyo in February of 1970, and hence the album title, Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers 7-0. And we heard, of course, um, the great Art Blakey on drums leading the band with um, Bill Hardman on trumpet, who was a veteran of Blakey's Messengers. He played with the band in uh, 1956 and 57, and of course, as you heard on this album, uh, he came back, uh, rejoined the band, and of course, he was a much more polished uh, musician by this time, and one of the great underrated trumpeters, Bill Hardman, the late great Bill Hardman. On tenor saxophone, from Panama originally, Carlos Garnett, and on piano, the first female to join our Blakey's Messengers, Joanne Brackeen, one of the greats on piano. And from the Czech Republic, bassist Jan Arnett. And of course, as I mentioned before, the mighty Art Blakey on drums. The tunes were all really basically um, standard repertoire in, in most Art Blakey bands. Um, a lot of these tunes were played right up until the end of his career by different editions of the band. And so these were mostly staples, um, but uh, on this particular album with this band, they all sounded very fresh. And we opened the set with Bobby Timmons' great tune, Monin, and we went from there to two Benny Golson compositions, the first being Blues March, and the second one being Whisper Not. 
The only new composition in the band was tune number four, and that was written by the tenor saxophonist, Carlos Garnett. And the tune, I guess it would uh, uh, be a prophetic title today as well, but the tune was called What the World Needs Now is Peace and Love. Tune number five was actually an arrangement by Wayne Shorter, and that was brought into the band um, many, many years ago when Shorter was a member of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. And uh, this is his arrangement of Harold Arlen's It's Only a Paper Moon. Tune number six was a composition by Bill Hardman that was also in uh, several earlier editions of uh, The Messengers, a tune called Politely. And, of course, we heard the, the final piece, which was always a necessity when Art Blakey played A Night in Tunisia, which, of course, is Dizzy Gillespie's most famous composition. So that's uh, what we heard, and uh, this album, great album, The Jazz Messengers, 70. And we certainly hope you enjoyed it. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9, or, of course, for live streaming. Uh, That's www.citr.ca. And uh, we have a couple of uh, brief messages, and we'll be right back. This is The Jazz Show, and my name's Gavin Walker. What's the best way to end off summer? Uh, What's the best way to end summer? Well, traditionally, I would go and play a music festival. That is so wrong. Okay, well, the first answer... This is a really hostile interview. Okay, so... (laughs) Listen up. There's only one way to end off summer, and that's at the Victory Square Block Party. On September 1st, come bid adieu to the warm weather at the summer's best party. It's fun, it's free, and we want you there. Victory Square Block Party features performances by Kim Mortal, Biawana, Love Goon, Sunrise Social, Sylvia Rath, Lucid, Oblomov, and Tonk. Plus, there'll be tasty food vendors and a raffle with kick-butt prizes. That's September 1st from 2 to 9 p.m. See you there. Well, I always look forward to the fall. Are you a new grad student at UBC? Well, then come down to the Campus Resources and Student Activity Fair presented by the Graduate Student Society and the Faculty of Graduate Studies. It's happening Thursday, August 29th from 11.30 to 1.30 p.m. on the grass median between the Belkin Art Gallery and Buchanan. It's a great way to meet peers, find out about campus resources, and get yourself settled in at UBC. This event is happening Thursday, August 29th, and is open to all new UBC grad students. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. Well, uh, 
we're back, and uh, I'd certainly like to uh, introduce my guest this evening, and he's a wonderful composer and has a wonderful album out, and we're going to be hearing samples of it, and uh, he's sitting right here in the studio. I'd like to uh, introduce to you Jalem Bate, and um, he... As I mentioned before, he's an incredible composer. He's got uh, a whole wide range of uh, musical influences, and we'll be chatting with him right now. How are you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me. All right. My pleasure. So, um, being a composer, and you you have your feet in, 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 in different styles of music. Right. Mm-hmm. Besides, besides jazz. Yeah, you know, I kind of straddle the worlds of classical music and jazz um, as a conductor and a composer, and that kind of feeds both worlds in their own way. That you y- studying classical music allows me to kind of look into maybe longer forms and things that are not confined to A A B A. Um, you know, kind of expanding the idea of what a piece of music can be beyond a, a three-minute chart. Um, and looking the other way, you know, approaching classical music from a jazz uh, viewpoint and aesthetic uh, brings to classical music a certain recognition that composers were not these lofty marble statues that we kind of hold them up to be today. Um, that, you know, even classical music from the 17th, 18th, 19th, 19th century um, was relevant then as it should be today, and it shouldn't be reserved for a kind of museum, you know, that it's as relevant as if we were playing jazz from the 1920s today. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so your influences are, are, are far and wide in terms of your composition. Who, who really ins- inspires you? Um, jazz-wise? Well, in the jazz world, I mean, my whole compositional life started in jazz, not classical music, and it started because I was a drummer. And the high school that I went to didn't have a very strong music program, but what they did have were two assets, um, both that were a result of the the music teacher. One was um, a spirit of innovation and creativity that because it wasn't the strongest music program on the face of the earth or in the lower mainland and um, or even in Richmond, to be <laughs> honest. Um, yeah, and I mean, our, our teacher, I think, was aware of that and as a result promoted, I guess, non-traditional um, avenues of expression in the sense that he allowed you to um, bring your own charts up or or play your own music and oh, another yeah, yeah he was a, thinking outside the box yeah mostly because i don't think we could afford any charts you know? <laughs> right right so it was it was free stuff like, and, bring your own right? yeah <laughs> and there was also a course that i signed up for um called music composition that turned out to just be um here's a key to a room with a rolling keyboard and a mac with sibelia six and i'll see you in an hour and a half you know, come so, up with something. Yeah, so that was that was music composition for me, and um, the big influences that started me off in jazz with you know those two avenues were listening to these kind of pre 
I don't even know what you'd call them, but I guess pre-downloaded sample tracks in Sibelius when you pull up a jazz band chart. Um, it would give you samples of what fonts to use and what music. And, you know, in combination with the, the library at the school, you know, because I had been into rock music, I started playing charts like Louie Louie or, you know, all mm -hmm. these Mark Taylor, Paul Merthyr arrangements that were just, you know, Hal Leonard specials um, off, the chart, off the shelf. But what that did was it started to instill in me this idea that you could take popular music, because all these songs were arrangements of, of tunes from the 50s and 60s, and even into the, you know, the more hip arrangers would be writing stuff from the 2000s. So it was all this pop music and pop melodies that I was hearing in different contexts that started me down the road of getting into big band and what arranging was and what composition was. And then it was kind of a rabbit hole experience that you would spend hours, or I would spend hours on YouTube, you know, going from Mark Taylor on the Hal Leonard website to Paul Merthyr, and then, oh, who's, you know, was Paul Merthyr's influence? And then that, would, that led me to my first big discovery, which for many people was Gordon Goodwin, um, which was a different aesthetic, I guess, of big band. The fat, um, the fat band. Yeah, the big yeah. fat band, especially the Swingin' for the Fences yes. album. And it's still on YouTube. There's a performance of um, them playing Hit the Ground Running at Disneyland, and Eric Marienthal, the lead alto player, stands up and he takes a solo, and he goes into, like, crazy altissimo land mm -hmm. and i remember seeing that when i was 16 and being like that you know <laughs> that's kick-ass and i really want to do stuff like that right uh, you know and i think then you you know not progress but you evolve to like other things and the next person for me was john clayton and the clayton hamilton uh, jazz orchestra yes you know um and then from there went who was this guy listening to and then it became bill holman and stan kenton and sammy nestico especially Nestico was a huge influence on me. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, I started to get a little bit more um, uh, experimental into later Brookmeyer and, and Grettinger. Um, and, of course, Schneider yeah. is up there. And then, you know, now where I'm at, after this album that I just released has come out and thinking about number two, um that I've kind of done these this the not traditional but straight ahead big band thing is thinking about now that I have kind of an understanding and all these influences behind me um what I want to do by combining all those different things yeah. that's a very long answer to a very simple question <laughs> <laughs> well it's a good answer because you didn't jump into jazz right away and and but but you you took the time to um, explore it. Well, I'm hearing this this music now. Where is it coming from? See, a lot a lot of people don't have that kind of curiosity, and I think this is what it, you know to your benefit but that you had this incredible curiosity. Well, I've got to find out what what ha what inspired these guys, and and went from there to there to there. Because when I listened to your album um, the other day at home, um, you know, I, I heard certain influences in there uh bill russo mm -hmm. and, and so i mean you know you've you've um fred stride i know was one of your mentors mm -hmm. and, and 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 fred of course has been a huge part of music out here at ubc and and inspired many musicians and of course fred is a huge stan kenton fan so he would he would say, well, you know, this Bill Holman, this, this uh, uh, Pete Rugolo, this, this Bill Russo, uh, Grettinger, 
uh, all those guys. You know, you, you got to listen to them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, of course, uh, I can kind of hear all that in your music, which is uh, incredible. But that's interesting how you started and, and had the curiosity to keep going and explore. Well, I think that curiosity is important to you know, jazz and classical music and anything that's not top 40, you know. I mean, people talk about how, um, well, it seems people under 40 don't seem to like other types of music, and I don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I mean, we're on a university radio station, so I can talk about it, but, like, when you start drinking wine, for example, yeah. you know, your parents will give you wine when you're 15 or 16, and you say, you know, this tastes like shoe polish. Um <laughs> <laughs> but you know that doesn't stop you from from continuing to drink wine and of course your taste mature you know um and there's no stigma around the fact that maybe when you're just discovering you know wine or whatever beer craft beer anything champagne even mm-hmm. um there's no stigma that it's going to change and that it's okay to not like it right away but I think in the jazz world, you know, as I've at my time at UBC and met people not in the school of music and tell them about what I'm doing and the whole big band thing and, um, you know, whatever my musical project is. Or even when we go to other shows, you know, whether it's it's something experimental or more straight ahead, there's this stigma that if you don't like it right away, then it's not for you. You know, and that that comes up in classical music, too, that if you don't like Mahler 4 right away, which is heavy, you know, or like listening to Brookmeyer, like it's heavy stuff. Yeah. Um, Or Grettinger, exactly, or Schneider, or Mm. even some of the snarky puppy stuff. Like it's heavy, complex, you know, not straight ahead music. It's meant to kind of challenge you in some ways. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not to say that people shouldn't listen to that music without a music degree. Not at all. But I think, you know, you know, having a constant curiosity about it is really important. And I was lucky that I was just kind of left alone to discover stuff. So no one ever told me that jazz was not cool <laughs> for, for right. a 15-year-old. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just digging what I was hearing because one thing led to another. And this is just all the big ensemble stuff. I mean, I was really like Art Blakey, you know, as a drummer listener, Art Blakey was a big thing. Of course. You know, all the writers that ever contributed to the Buddy Rich big band. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, any, like, you know, of course, Miles Davis, John Coltrane. um, So, I mean, all the small group stuff, too. And like I said, I guess someone just forgot to tell me that forgot to tell me that this was not cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I've, I've got a good friend of mine who, who is highly educated. And uh, um, his taste in literature and movies and everything else. And, and uh, he does like music, but it, he likes only a, a limited kind of music. And uh, he told me, he says, you know, I've tried to listen to jazz. And he said, I know, Gavin, you're into it so much. And and he said, you know, I respect you and so on. And he said, I've really tried. And he said, you know, but I think think jazz is for people who don't like music. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, (laughs) and you know, I I had to laugh. I I just said, yeah, okay, Uh, you know, uh, can I... 
can I use that? I said, that's, that's funny, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but um, in a way, it, uh, as an example, a young, a young friend of mine, he's got a couple of, uh, he's a huge fan. Uh, he's an uh, amateur musician, but he's got a huge, huge jazz record collection. And he's got two cute little girls, and um, they come in uh, to his music room, and uh, they, they always say, Daddy, we hate this music because mm. <laughs> he's always playing this yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff, you know. And uh, so he, he just, you know, kisses them goodnight and says, yeah, okay, well, we'll see you in the morning, kitties, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Well, I mean, but put, uh, sorry, who go ahead. Who, well, I know who knows what, what may happen to them. Yeah. Uh, one day they might come in and say, gee, can you play that again? Mm-hmm. You know? Who knows? Well, and the perfect example with me is that, you know, you mentioned Fred Stride, and I remember in my second year, of, no, third year of music school, I took a course, a formal, I had already been studying with him, but I took a formal course with him on jazz theory and arranging, and <clears throat> he played um, a track of Bookmeyer's Celebration Suite, and the second movement uh, oh, and at the same time, so I should mention an arrangement of Maids of Cadiz. Uh, oh, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And at the time, I mean, this was four years, no, five years ago, four, four to five years ago, depending on how you cut it. At the time, you know, I was going through my Goodwin phase and, you know, a little bit more straight ahead, if you will, and Nestico. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought the book Maher and, and made that Cadiz arrangement was just true out there and I didn't like it and you know I put it on my iPod but um I never listened to it and I just thought man that's not for me Mm -hmm. um and you know but again to Fred's credit just like my high school teacher um no one really pushed me in any direction it was when I got tired of listening to Nestico not saying that Nestico you can never get tired of but when I started I guess to yearn for something new Mm-hmm. You know, and I wanted more dissonance in my musical diet, and I wanted to be challenged and looking for something different. That when I went looking for it, it was much more impactful than when I was shown it. And that only happened through time and listening, and just like you said, just curiosity. Because mm-hmm. if I wasn't listening, what what else would I be doing? <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> exactly. So, well. I think we should hear some of your music. Um, I'm talking right now to uh, uh, Jalen Bate, and uh, he is uh, now becoming quite a renowned uh, composer, and he has this wonderful album out called On the Edge. And um, where can one purchase this album? Um, Online, you can get it wherever you get your music. So mm-hmm. iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, Premium, um, Amazon Live, YouTube Music, anywhere that you get your music usually. Um, hard copy, you can order off Amazon or shoot me an email through my website, which is just jalenbait.ca. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to opt for that, then I can always send you a signed copy too. Um, but digitally is, easy, is the easy way. Um, but if you're looking to support... Uh, someone who just finished a grad degree at UBC, you know, <laughs> out in the big wide world, uh, sh- shoot me a message or order a copy off Amazon, um, and uh, that will support the next album. Absolutely. Well, and we should clarify the spelling of your name too, because if people are going to uh, get you on the on, on the internet, so yeah, so it, you can reach me at www. 
J A E L E M B H A T E dot C A. There you go. All right, we're going to hear the title track from uh, from this album and um, the solos on here. Steve Caldestat, um, wonderful tenor saxophonist, and uh, Silas Friesen, trumpet player. Yeah, he did. Silas started his master's degree with me two years ago, and now he's in Saskatoon, where he's from originally. But uh, this is an all all star band, really of. Um, I guess, with the exception of maybe uh, Steve, uh, who was and and Sharman King, of course, who, who plays bass trombone here, this is mostly younger uh, musicians mm-hmm. that that uh, are on the Vancouver scene. People like Brent Ma playing uh, alto saxophone, uh, Daniel Herzog, of course, is a composer in his own right on trumpet, and and, uh, and Jocelyn Wall, mm-hmm. you know, she's wonderful. And uh, uh, my good friend Ricardo Halabi, who's a g- guitarist, and and uh, and many other musicians. I won't run down all the names on this, but uh, if you uh, do access the album, you'll 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 get all the all the names of the people and all the names of the soloists. So the soloists on this piece are Steve Caldestat on tenor saxophone and Silas Friesen on trumpet, and this is the title track from uh, Jalem's album On the Edge. This is On the Edge.
Wow. That's a great piece of music. <laughs> Wonderful opener, too. Did Thank you, you. Did you pick it up to, uh, to open the set? Yeah, yeah, this was the, well, I mean, that tune was kind of the genesis of doing this album, you know, um, that uh, I wanted to write something that was a little new and uh, representative of what I was writing at the time. So um, if it wasn't for that tune, then the album probably wouldn't have been put together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a certain, uh, it, you know, it's just a great opening piece. It's like, here, here I am, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I like that. Uh, we were talking about um, the Pacific Suite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that was originally conceived because I was doing a concert with a community band that I founded and, you know, cut my teeth on as a composer and a band leader. Um, and I inherited from Fred, actually, an extra copy of the Atlantic Suite. Oh, Phil Nimmons. Phil Nimmons, right. Um, a great Canadian composer. Yeah, I, I'm now he's, I think, 93, and he's still going, yep. you know, still writing. Um, and he wrote that when he was in Halifax, originally from Kamloops, mm-hmm. um, and wrote that when he was in Halifax. Um, and it was four movements that were, you know, fairly um, generic titles, but very... Um, I guess representative of his time there, and I forget all the titles, but those islands, those tides. Um, so it got me thinking that to do that concert, we did at the Telecedar at the Chan Center, mm-hmm. and um, I wanted to write something that was kind of parallel to my experiences growing up on the West Coast, um, but I wanted to write it a bit more specific, not just because I wanted to do something, you know, West Coast based, but with with N- the Nimmons work writing something like islands or tides you know i think i can't speak for him obviously but i think maybe he was going for something a bit more um overarching you know maybe it wasn't specific to halifax but it was um the aesthetic of living in an island or a port town if yeah, you will exactly um whereas i wanted to do something a bit more specific that wasn't just uh, the lower mainland it was more the growing up in bc so this one was in four movements. Uh, the first one was Straits and Narrows, um, which, I mean, any kid in BC, you go back and forth to the island, you know, anytime there's a band trip or a sports trip or whatever. Um, uh, number two uh, is called Uninhabitation, which is a made-up word, um, mostly because there wasn't one in the dictionary already that I liked. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when you go out to Prince George or I went up to Powell River for something, which is not really that north, um, but, you you know, the most north I've been is Prince Rupert. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even that far north of Prince George or ever, if you even fly a little bit on Pacific Coastal or, or whatever, is you realize that as soon as you leave the lower mainland or even doing the drive from Vancouver to Calgary, which I've done a bunch. Um, and there's a highway that I got bored of doing the whole Coquihalla and then to on, on the Trans-Canada, I took Highway 8. Um which if anyone is looking for a scenic drive that's super isolated and will give you some perspective on on the size of this province, um, that's the route to go. But so movement two is about, you know, feeling small and it opens with a trombone chorale without any rhythm section or kind of the, a sense of like bass motion to um, reinforce that idea. And then um, 
Oh, sorry. Number that was number three. Number two on on the album is called Weeping Skies, uh, which is just about the rain, you know, and the kind of mixed emotions that you get from living in uh, in a city that rains so much. And the number four um, is about when you drive into into Vancouver and everywhere I've been and traveling around. Um, Vancouver's unique in that its its downtown core is all glass, mm-hmm. you know. So that one's called Sea of Glass. Yeah, like City of Glass. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't. I that was in the running, and then someone pointed out to me that I'd probably have to pay a lot of money in legal fees. You oh, know? Uh, yeah. So uh, Sea of Glass uh, d- got yeah, the winner. Yeah, d- just to clarify, City of Glass was uh, a composition by Robert Grattinger who wrote uh, for Stan Kenton, and it was uh, it, quite a, it's quite a formidable record. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you play that for people that uh, are baffled by jazz and say, oh, well, here, listen to this. And, of course, then they become even more baffled. Yeah, it doesn't help. <laughs> so, well, that was one of my little kind of hidden Easter eggs on this album and mm-hmm. um, the City of Glass thing. And then on the edge, there was a I Got Rhythm quote. Right. Um, so there's a little Easter eggs hidden in there. Right. So we're going to hear the Pacific Suite by Jalen Bate, and this is from his album, On the Edge.
Yes. Well, that's the uh, straights and narrows. That's part one of your uh, Pacific Suite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, of course, there's more movements to there, but uh, we'll have to uh, listen to that some other time. Yeah. You know, um, I just want to say it's been uh, really um, revealing and uh, uh, most um, educational visit for me, uh, getting to know you a little bit and uh, um, where you're coming from and, and, uh, and hearing your music. So. Well, thanks again for having me, and, you know, it's a pleasure to, I mean, UBC as a campus and institution has been such a big part of my life, so it's it's a nice full circle uh, moment that as I'm kind of exiting the uh, the premises, if you will, for the next generation uh, to be talking about it on mm-hmm. the campus radio station. Right. Yes, because your uh, your educational history has been here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. And... Um, I mean, you know, we had been talking about high school um, and my high school experience and not having a music program. I, I, my sister was very science-oriented, so I went into science following her footsteps because then she went on to do medicine at UBC. Um, we joke between her and me, we have 18 years at UBC combined, oh. and they should really name like a mall after us, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, All right. But... Uh, so I went into science and the two, did two years of that. It wasn't for me. did four years of music undergrad, two years of master's. So I've been here for eight years. And, um, I mean, these tunes, a lot of them are written on campus in practice rooms or, or whatever. I mean, one I was loved was about, um, you know, both loss of friendship and romantic relationships, both of which were at UBC. And... Um, you will be okay with something a teacher, you know, said to me during my first year of my master's, um, you know, about 20 meters that way and sitting in the new sub right now. Um, and uh, On the Edge was conceived uh, in a practice room at UBC. So this album has a lot of, of history at UBC, actually. Hmm. Well, that's good. Uh, we'll, ha- we'll have to hear that, uh, that tune after we finish chatting. Uh, you will be okay. Yeah, yeah. Is that well, a good choice? Yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a great choice. Um, there's there's a little bit of word word painting in there that people can kind of pick out where the phrase the the words kind of fit in the musical phrase, uh-huh. and it was kind of my um, attempt at fitting that phrase into into music. Right. So it's a little bit of a yeah. Just to backtrack story. a little, the uh, the tune that we uh, before we started talking was uh, uh, part of the Pacific Suite, and it was Straits and Narrows, and the soloists on that uh, um, Daniel Herzog, and on trumpet, and Steve called us that on tenor saxophone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great to have Steve in the band. There's so many fine, fine people in this band, and um, I, it'd be very interesting to play this for some people that don't know your music and just say, you know, and, and surprise them uh, with, with the, um, the technical expertise, but also the, the, the inspiring music, um, and, and to question them and say, uh, where's this band from? Yeah, and yeah. See, see what they say. Well, know? I've had some reviews on, of this as far away. There was one in Japan um, that I actually had to have a friend translate, but um, 
they were commenting that they didn't, uh, I forget what the exact quote was, but something akin to uh, we didn't know that music reached this far in Western Canada, let alone music like this or, or something to that effect. But Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, there well, you go. I mean, so. that's, it's highly complimentary, but it's still kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's good. It's, it's tough, you know, that people, you say Canada and they think Toronto and Montreal of as course. the two epicenters. Yeah. Um, and I mean, between that corridor, there's just so many people. So the fact that there's just so many great jazz musicians living in Vancouver, Oh, <clears throat> scads that that, yeah. that that people aren't, you know, I mean, people know about, uh, you know, say, Corey Weeds or, or um, folks like that uh, in, in his kind of generational circle and, and then some of the older legendary Vancouver musicians, you know, Fraser McPherson and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. But basically, um, there's just so many. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, you know, reading... If I read all the names uh, of of the people involved in your project, it would be like, uh, wow, I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, so many of them are just, you know, young, young, young people guys, like right? me that yeah. are trying to make their way. And, you know, part of having such a great market is, you know, it's double-edged sword that it's also saturated. And it's no kind of mystery that the venues are hard to come by. Yes, um, of course, with a band that size. Yeah, so, and I mean, the big band tradition in Vancouver, you know, from the people like Fred or or the Vancouver, um, uh, oh, what's its formal name? The Improvisatory Jazz Ensemble. Oh, uh, Veggie. Veggie, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, Hugh Fraser. Um, ensemble of Jazz Improvisation. That's yes, what that's, I was trying to get out. That's right. Um, I mean, and Hard Rubber, like, I mean, the, yeah. the big band tradition John in Vancouver Corsa, yeah. exactly is pretty strong so it's um a lot of these young jill young townsend's band jill townsend That's another one um i mean just so many excellent uh, excellent musicians mm-hmm. i mean what brad turner does with the big bands out of cap yes um and and his big band writing um i could just go on for hours about the different big bands and the community big band scene um so Part of this record, too, was, you know, I got to know all these people because I was always the one as the composer trying to make concerts to have an avenue for people to hear my music. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, I was the one giving people a call. But I wasn't, I, I felt, I guess, embarrassed early on to be phoning, you know, Jody Prosnick or whoever, like, oh, do you want to come play bass for <laughs> for <laughs> me who's just getting started? Or, yeah, yeah. I mean, even showing Fred my stuff early on was really embarrassing. and. I mean, asking Steve to be on this, I think, you know, I was sweating through that phone call. <laughs> right, know? right. Because, yeah, I mean, who who wants to be rejected? Well, yeah, I'm, well, no, I'm kind of busy. Uh, you know, give me a call some other time. You yeah. Know? yeah. So I think for That's the... That's great. Yeah. yeah. I think for the next album, I'll give I'll give the people um, that I'm, I'm a little scared of. <laughs> I'll give them a call <laughs> and hopefully call. they... Oh, yeah, do yeah. it. Of course. Um so what are your plans? What, um, do you, what do you have on tap? Well, after the after this album came out in March, and then I did a whole nine arrangements of Bizet's Carmen for mm-hmm. Jazz Orchestra, and we did a... That's not a album release, but it is all on YouTube, and it was mixed and mastered right here at UBC, and we did a whole kind of... Um, it was modeled on Louis Dodswell and Callum Al's project, um, out of England, 
and they met through the National Youth Jazz Orchestra in the UK, and they did these video series of arrangements. So um, we did a whole series of arrangements that are um, really well produced, excuse me, with regards to the production value of the video. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anyone wants to check that out, uh, that would be great. But, you know, since doing those two big projects this fall, is kind of a chance for me to replenish my compositional cup. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I have a few big, a few big projects though. In the next thing on the horizon in the spring is working with the Vancouver-based trumpeter Michael Kim, who played lead on this album, and um, him and I are teaming up to. I'm essentially writing a large form, large scale tone poem for jazz orchestra that will be featuring him, and it involves. Um, an extended brass section, so French horns, um, a tuba involves um, extended percussion, so there'll be one extra percussionist in addition to the typical drummers, uh, maybe with one or two timpani, um, a vibraphone, thinking about having a a marimba as part of it. Um, And I don't want to give away the the main premise of it yet because it's not fully baked, so I don't want to make promises I can't keep compositionally. but essentially, it'll be telling a story, and and Michael as a as a trumpet player, very much akin to you know how a concert opera or a concert ballet okay. would be told. Um, that it's not necessarily being acted out, um, and there's not a narrator, but um, it's it's very programmatic, in the sense that it's it's taking the listener through a set number of story points. Um, and he'll be interacting on the trumpet with with other soloists and and messing around and and kind of going doing some solo stuff and some lead stuff and some section stuff and mm. it will be very um, about an hour long is what we're, we're thinking right now mm-hmm. and hoping to premiere that at the Telus and then after that we'll be on to album number two um, which I'm I'm kind of just getting all the source material down now it's very much in the sketching phase and thinking about um what i want to write about and again without giving too much away compositionally before i actually put a note on paper excuse me um one thing that you know based on our socio-political world today and thinking about the world that i'm going to inherit when i'm 50 um one thing that I really want to talk about through my next album is how these hot-button issues today affect <clears throat> people that are going to have to deal with them um, mm-hmm. when they're 50. You know, I mean, climate change, climate change is, yes. is the one that my generation is going to inherit. Yeah. <clears throat> Specifically, uh, not to mention everything else that's going on today. Mm-hmm. Um Whichever side of the coin you fall down on, you know, or whatever side of the argument. So the next album will kind of be assessing some of those those issues and um, talking about them from a, a viewpoint of inheritance. Hmm. Wow, it's extremely intriguing, and we'll all be waiting for that one. Yeah, it's a little different, and you know, we're talking about influences, <clears throat> and with this album, it was very much out of the Kenton, um, Nestico. Fred Stride um, school, if you will, that it's it's not necessarily straight ahead, but it was um, 
you know, it was fully acoustic. It was a it was a traditional big band big setup. Band, yes. Um, not to say that the next one will be big band, but um, I think the next one might be a little bit more uh, out there and a bit more experimental, mm-hmm. um, and maybe a bit more um, wild, as wild as it needs to be to talk about some of those issues. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out too, you know, (laughs) I I think as a composer, you sometimes the, um, you write the music as much as the music writes your story too. So, Mm -hmm. um, it'll be interesting to see how the music itself influences me as a composer and person. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you, uh, Zalem, and, uh, thank you very much for taking the time from your obviously busy schedule to uh, pop out here and uh, exchange a lot of your ideas. I'm sure anybody out there listening uh, realized that uh, there's a lot going on mm. <laughs> with, well, J- with, with Jalen Bate. Well, thanks so much for having me, and I hope people enjoyed some of the tunes. All right. Um, we're going to close this with uh, a composition played by, um, on this album, and it's the, uh, it's the final track on the album, and we discussed it before we... Uh, got into our last chat here, and it's called You Will Be Okay, and it features alto saxophonist Brent Ma and pianist Andrew McDonald. And uh, this is the, uh, the final tune on the CD called On the Edge. Thanks again, Jayla. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you.
this marvelous big band playing the compositions of uh, my guest this evening, Jalem Bate. And uh, Jalem wrote everything on this uh, beautiful album called On the Edge. And that tune is entitled You Will Be Okay. And that featured alto saxophonist Brent Ma and pianist Andrew McDonald. And there's all kinds of uh, wonderful people, mostly musicians of uh, younger generation uh, in this band, but it just shows you the, uh, the amount of incredibly talented and uh, virtuoso uh, young musicians that uh, live right here in Vancouver. Many of them are graduates of uh, Cap College or graduates of UBC, um, and uh, perform in and around uh, Vancouver in, in different contexts and uh, make up the, uh, the sound of this uh, wonderful big band and this album. So uh, we certainly hope you enjoyed the uh, interview with Jalem and uh, the excerpts from this marvelous album, On the Edge. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM. 101.9, or, of course, uh, for live streaming, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and we'll be back with some uh, more music in a few moments after a few other words. All right. Full Circle is excited to announce Nimkish's debut album, Heartbreak on the Coast. Come raise a glass with us at the album release party on August 31st at the Wise Hall. Join us for an amazing night of indigenous queer music, including JB the First Lady, Mama Rudgal, Biawana, and DJ Paisley Eva. Get there early to check out some great local artists showcasing and selling their art. It's all happening August 31st from 8 to 11.30 p.m. at the Wise Hall. Tickets are $12 and can be purchased at eventbrite.com. Montreal's electro-pop duo, Milk and Bone, play the Fox Cabaret on August 30th. Tickets are on sale now at eventbrite.com and Red Cat Records. Presented by MRG Concerts, CITR Radio, and Discorder Magazine. thing we do have going this week is some wonderful weather in the forecast 
at least for this week. Uh, tonight is going to be nice and clear and a low of 14. Tomorrow is going to be sunny, even warmer than today, and uh, maybe a little windy in the morning with a low of 14 and highs between 22 and 28. And the same uh, for Wednesday, sunny with highs between 24 and 29. And Thursday, sunny as well, with uh, lows down to about 15 and highs up to uh, from 24 to 28. And Friday, too, um, same, sunny, 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 uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Saturday, the weekend, leading into uh, the Labor Day long weekend, Saturday is, uh, they're calling for a cloudy day with a low of 14 and a high of 23. And on Sunday, they're calling for a cloudy day with a 60% chance of a shower on Sunday with a low of 15 and a high up to about 20. So that's, um, that's the picture. So it's really going to be quite enjoyable during the week. So there you go. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. We're going to turn now to a, actually, it's quite a rare album. It's called Organizing, and it's by the uh, legendary organist Melvin Rhine. But it's, Melvin is here with, a, with an all-star band. Um, Melvin was originally uh, um, part of Wes Montgomery's uh, first um, trio that he put together. Melvin was uh, from the Indianapolis area. area. And um, he is the leader on here, but uh, I think all the all the musicians are uh, in a starring role on this album. And uh, as I said, um, Mel, this is his uh, debut album. Actually, it was recorded in 1960. It has the great Blue Mitchell on trumpet, and some very exuberant Johnny Griffin on tenor saxophone. And Griffin is always exuberant, but he's super exuberant on <laughs> on this album. Uh, Gene Harris is playing piano, and somehow they they were um, the organ and piano work together very well. And the great Andrew Simpkins is on bass, and Albert Tootie Heath is on drums. And this is a tune written by Cannonball Adderley. And he called it the Barefoot Sunday Blues. And this is a whole lot of fun. And it's just relaxed, uh, good time jazz. Hope you enjoy it. Barefoot Sunday Blues. Thank you. 
the Barefoot Sunday Blues, an ensemble led by organist Melvin Ryan. Mel Ryan on Hammond organ, along with uh, Blue Mitchell on trumpet, the exuberant Johnny Griffin on tenor saxophone, Gene Harris on piano, Andrew Simpkins on bass, and Albert Tootie Heath on drums, all recorded in March of 1960 for uh, Jazzland Records. And that was Cannonball Adderley's little tune entitled The Barefoot Sunday Blues. That's from uh, Melvin Ryan's very first album under his own name. The reason he got that uh, album opportunity was that he was the organist in Wes Montgomery's uh, first recorded trio. And um, it was decided that, uh, to put Mel together with a group of all-star musicians and give him a recording date on his own. And uh, this was one of the tracks from this album called Organizing. We're going to turn our attention now to the great Charlie Parker, Bird. And this was one of the, they had two recording bands in um, the 1940s. The first one was imposed by the Musicians Union and also uh, it was imposed by the war effort because uh, the material used to make albums or used to make records was used uh, uh, for the uh, war effort in the Second World War. So it was kind of these combination of two things, and they had a recording ban uh, for a couple of years. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of important jazz music never got recorded. Some of the really early, early modern jazz um, get-togethers and stuff like that. So there's a bit of a blank. Then there was another recording band that took place in the late 40s. It didn't last as long, um, but uh, companies uh, scrambled to uh, uh, before the band took place to uh, bring their artists in and record them. And this is one of the reasons why this uh, Charlie Parker session took place. And it was Charlie Parker's working band. So uh, he went into the studio and recorded these four tunes all Charlie Parker compositions. But the band included a young Miles Davis on trumpet, of course, Charlie Parker on alto saxophone, John Lewis on piano, who was the new pianist in the band. He was brought in by Miles Davis, and John Lewis, of course, went on to form the modern jazz quartet. On bass, the great Curly Russell, and on drums, the equally great Max Roach, the Charlie Parker All-Stars, and these four tunes, we're going to hear the four master takes that they recorded for Savoy Records. Um, the first tune is one of my favorites. It's called Perhaps. Uh, the second tune is another. They're all favorites of mine. What can I say? Uh, the second tune is called Marmaduke. Uh, the third tune is called Steeplechase. And the final tune, um, the up-tempo piece of the whole set is called Merry-Go-Round. So the Charlie Parker All-Stars as they sounded in September of 1948.
That sounded good. Okay.
Of course, the magnificent bird, Charlie Parker, with his working band, recorded in 1948 for Savoy Records. We heard uh, the results of, uh, of that recording session. Uh, the people involved, of course, uh, Charlie Parker on alto saxophone, Miles Davis on trumpet, John Lewis on piano, Curly Russell on bass, and Max Roach on drums. And we heard um, four Parker compositions. The first one entitled Perhaps. The second one was called Marmaduke. The third one was entitled Steeplechase. And the final piece of music was Merry-Go-Round. Of course, the uh, just amazing music. And, and back in those days, um, of course, uh, most jazz recordings were basically your three-minute 78 RPM discs. So you had three minutes to make your statement and uh, get in, get out. And marvelous. These little uh, gems of... Uh, performances are uh, never cease to amaze me how these musicians got it together and were able to condense everything into a three-minute segment and say their say unlike uh, today where pieces go on for a long time and long solos and all that kind of stuff that's exciting too but in a very different way Wayne Shorter yesterday was 86 years old of course, he's one of the great musicians of uh, our era, incredible composer, and of course uh, has got an, uh, a long, long, long legacy in music. Of course, he performed uh, with Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers for many years, was the musical director of that organization, moved on to the second great quintet, of Miles Davis, uh, then later on went on and f- with Joe Zavinul formed one of the most incredible bands ever, Weather Report, and uh, Wayne has continued to um, play his music his way, and uh, we hope that uh, despite some health issues that uh, Wayne Shorter will continue to uh amaze us with his music. We're just going to pay a short tribute to uh, Wayne Shorter. It was his birthday yesterday. And uh, this is from uh, a rare recording, an early recording by Wayne, um, done in 1960. And it features uh, Wayne Shorter on tenor saxophone, Lee Morgan on trumpet, Bobby Timmons on piano, Jimmy Rouser on bass, and Arthur Taylor on drums. And uh, this is a piece of music written by Wayne called Suspended Sentence. And uh, then we're going to move to a much later album, one of my favorites. The album is entitled Etc. And we're going to hear a piece of music called Indian Song. And that features Wayne on tenor saxophone, Herbie Hancock on piano, Cecil McBee on bass, and Joe Chambers on drums. And this is uh, from... Uh, approximately um, five years later. So the first piece of music was recorded in 1960, and the second piece was recorded in 1965. Suspended sentence first, and followed by 
Indian song, Second. Thank you. 
We did a little bit of a, an extended tribute to the great Wayne Shorter, whose birthday it was um, a couple of days ago. 86 years old, and uh, despite some health setbacks, um, we hope that he can still do all the magical things that uh, he's always done. We heard three pieces of music involving Wayne Shorter, and the first one was an early recording with uh, Wayne, along with um, on tenor saxophone, of course, along with Lee Morgan on trumpet, Bobby Timmons on piano, Jimmy Rouser on bass, and Arthur Taylor on drums. And the first piece of music was a Wayne Shorter composition called Suspended Sentence. Then we moved to um, two tracks from this marvelous album recorded five years later uh, when Wayne had, uh, he had already joined Miles Davis's uh, second great quintet by that time, but was recording on his own. And this album was called Etc. And we heard two tracks from that. The first piece of music was entitled Indian Song. And the second piece of music was actually written by Gil Evans and called Barracudas. And Wayne was playing here with Herbie Hancock on piano, Cecil McBee on bass, and Joe Chambers on drums. Indian Song and Barracudas. Wayne Shorter. Our small tribute to this uh, great musician. Of course, Wayne will never be a stranger on uh, the jazz show. And that's uh, the show you're listening to right now. My name's Gavin Walker. We're going to conclude with a piece of music by the great Canadian trumpeter. He was born in Toronto and, of course, moved later on to uh, the United Kingdom. Lived in most of his life in London. Kenny Wheeler. And, of course, uh, I've always been a great admirer of uh, Kenny's music and his playing as well. And we hear him on trumpet here. Along with the incredible Evan Parker on tenor saxophone and on trombone, E.J. Thelen, and on vibraharp, Tom Vandergeld, and on string bass, double bass, uh, J.F. Jenny Clark, and on drums, Edward Vassala. And this is from an album that um, Kenny Wheeler recorded in the uh, early 80s uh, for ECM Records. It's called Around Six. And uh, we're going to conclude this edition of The Jazz Show with this piece of music called May Wee Wee. (laughs) Kenny always had a way with words uh, in his uh, song titles. And this is called May We Go Around. There you go. The music of Kenny Wheeler to conclude this edition of The Jazz Show.
some music from the great Canadian trumpeter, composer, Kenny Wheeler. That's from an album called Around Six. And uh, we heard a piece called May We Go Round. And Kenny Wheeler, of course, the composer of the piece on trumpet, along with uh, Evan Parker. Uh, I said he was on tenor saxophone. He was on soprano saxophone on this piece. Rather amazing and always challenging uh, musician. And uh, Edgy Phelan on trombone. Tom Vandergeld on vibraharp, and J.F. Jenny Clark on double bass, and Edward Vassala on drums. May we go round. And may we go round, well, <laughs> again, that's it for this edition of The Jazz Show. My name's Gavin Walker, and we're here, of course, every Monday night from 9 until the wee small hours of the morning with some of the very best in jazz music. We hope you enjoyed listening to the show this evening. And we will return in the merry month of September. As a matter of fact, we'll be back next Monday, which is uh, Labor Day. And, of course, that's the beginning of the whole busy fall season for everybody. And uh, so we'll see you then. On behalf of uh, The Jazz Show, myself, Gavin Walker, and radio station CITR, 101.9 on your FM dial or on your computer, www.citr.ca. Take care. We'll see you in seven days. Bye-bye. Do-ba-dee.